As a leader, I can be so much more regulated and approach things in such a calmer way than before I discovered that my body was connected to my head. This is the Live Into Your Brilliance podcast with me, Al Kenny, and my partner in crime, Mark Billows Bilby. This is the place where we shine a light on the brilliance and the truth of the human condition, whilst blow up the illusions that get in our way. We have a an exciting episode ahead with a special guest joining us who we'll introduce shortly. But as usual, I'm joined by Mark Bilby. How are you doing today, Billows? I'm very well, thank you, my friend. And I'm excited to... Uh dive into this discussion with our special guest. Well, let's not keep people waiting and we should, I'll, I'll introduce who this is. So our guest today is Beth Ayres. Beth has been um, a really influential member of the UK tech scene for many years now. Um, and she's held senior positions at a bunch of cool companies, New Voice Media, Codility, and most recently Peak. However, and as you're going to learn more about, she's recently embarked on a new chapter of her career, um, which includes launching her awesome new podcast, The Operations Room for COOs, and I highly recommend people have a listen to that. She's taken on board positions at Peak and Toffee AM, and she's preparing to launch an exciting new community for ambitious people craving meaning and conversation. So that's all she's up to at the minute. But um, I don't know where she fits it all in. Um, but that really is only half the story, which is the reason we're so excited to have Beth on the show, because it's Beth's personal development and discovery journey through things like body work, uh, writing, spiritual exploration, that to my mind makes her a great role model for anyone and everyone wondering what has doing this inner work got to do with business and leadership success. And so with that, I'd love to welcome Beth to the show. Hello, Beth. Uh, I think I was getting over that introduction. Uh, thanks, Al, for that. And Mark, it's so far, the, like I know your billows and your billows to everybody, but I just can't do it. So I'm afraid you're going to have to be Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so Beth, what we there's two main things that we love to do on on this show. One, which is shine a light on the innate brilliance of everybody, or what we believe is, lives in every human being. And two, which is blow up the illusions that get in the way of that. Um, but for those that don't know you, I would love if you maybe could tell us a little bit more about your journey. And, you know, maybe you've always been this enlightened soul that we know you as, but um, perhaps you, as you tell the story, you could uh, put the spotlight on like light bulb moments and, and how your story kind of illustrates um, what you've come to see about, you know, innate brilliance in human beings and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm just so far from having been this person for very long, even, let alone like born this way. Um, I think for me, I've always, I've always been interested in like enlightenment. And I, I say that very loosely now, but when I was like in high school, I took the intro to Asian religions and read everything and was like, oh, you know, if I meditate and I do a lot of yoga, I will become enlightened and I'll be like the best enlightened person ever. And that's what you have to do and has some sort of race to enlightenment, which like spoiler alert, doesn't work that way. Uh, and I was very, very far from it and worried a lot. Um, and, and was also a really unhappy person uh, for a long time. I don't really know how to like, didn't have, I had some very close friends, but always felt like I was on the outside looking in. I didn't belong. Anybody who was friends with me didn't really know who I was because otherwise how could they be friends? And just, just felt like a massive outsider. Um, and when I had had my first two kids, and actually I was only speaking to somebody the other day and realized I did five years of therapy that corresponded to the five years that I was at New Voice Media broadly. And then I did five years of embodiment work and body work that corresponded to my time at peak. So somehow it's like during these points of work are where I need to go and have the spiritual or self-improvement or maybe stability to look at it. Um, so I had two young kids. 
I realized I was just so desperately unhappy and needed to do something and started therapy. And I know that you're neither of you are massive fans of therapy, but I was just thinking about it um, in kind of a preamble to coming here. And I just don't think, I don't think I could have been in the position to take the rest of my journey if I hadn't had therapy help me heal. And it's down to, it's down to the relationships. And I, as you know, Al, I'm just a massive believer in relationships and the powers in between how we relate to other people rather than what we have in in just ourselves. And so I tried therapy a couple times, like after my father died and it was awful. And I went and I approached it very systematically and I interviewed loads of therapists. And then I talked to my friend who's a therapist and we went through all the pros and cons of everybody. Uh, and then I settled on one. And she was just amazing for me. And we didn't, we spent some time dwelling on my childhood, but we spent a lot more time talking about me and me today and and like these massive feelings of emptiness. And there were just a couple of moments in that, which was actually around how I relate to other people that were huge light bulb moments and helped me feel a lot more full. Um, I don't know how to like, I guess if you just stop for a second, I used to feel like there was nothing inside of me and there was no solid core. And now, like there's a very solid core <laughs> and I know who I am. And therapy gave me that core uh, and meant that I could be a human and I could interact with other humans and I could trust people. And then it was, I did not go into and expect to do body work. I just had, um, I left New Voice Media. My mother was diagnosed with motor neuron disease a day, two days after I left New Voice Media. <laughs> and uh, I just decided I was going to use my time off and start exercising. And they happened to be a yoga studio, eight minute walk from my house. And I went to yoga pretty much every day for 18 months. And it was just part of staying sane, going through this process. And one day I went down into the Hatha yoga class on a Wednesday evening at 6.30. And I was like, what is this? This is something I have never experienced in my life. I love it. I need more of it. And that ended up being my introduction to embodiment and movement. Um, I ended up working one-on-one -on -one with that teacher because I realized it wasn't Hatha yoga. It wasn't yoga at all. <laughs> and I couldn't find this anywhere else. I tried to find it other places. And that has, so therapy made me a human and gave me a core and the movement work has enabled me to figure out who I am and how to interact with other people. I, I've, well, I'm really interested in just something that you said around therapy gave you that core. And I was just curious as to what, what, what that looks like to you. You know, it, when you say it gave it to you, I, what immediately came to mind for me was, was it, was it there, but you couldn't see it up until, until doing therapy or was it something that you see as being new? I was just kind of really interested in that expression. I don't think I could have, I mean, obviously it didn't recreate. I guess I discovered it inside of me, but it's something that I I needed a guide to show me. I, it's not something I think I would have discovered myself. And like it, it just, it came over the course of those five years and there'd be conversations you'd have and you're like, I don't even, I'd come home and talk to my husband and be like, what was in therapy? And I was like, we just talked, like there would be nothing. And there would be kind of like weeks of, we had a chat, nothing much. And then other times would be like, boom, this was like a huge eye-opening session and you never knew which way it was going to come. Like one, one that was just still memorable to me is we're in London and she lives in a flat that's like a split level. So she has to come downstairs, let me in. And then we walk up the stairs into her flat and then into the therapy room. And I'd been seeing her for probably two and a half years and she'd open the door and I'd say hello. And then we would just walk in silence up 
sit down. And then I would be like, right, well, and then just start talking. <laughs> and at some point, she's like, I've just been thinking about it. And you, you never ask me how I am. We never make any small talk. You're completely silent till we get there. Like, do you interact with other people this way? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, but, but, but why? Like, wh why don't you talk to anybody? And I was like, well, I, I don't want to be an imposition. I don't want to ask uncomfortable questions. What if they don't want to talk to me? It's just easier to say nothing. And so that ended up being just one of those aha moments that helped me. And then she said, but like, don't you like it when people ask you questions? Like, yeah. And it's like, doesn't it feel good to make a connection with somebody? Like, yeah. She like, so don't you think people would like to make a connection with you? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like little bits of that that bring, for me, brought that core in when I just felt like I was so unworthy, bad, riddled with shame that there was nothing inside. And and Beth, did you know, we often talk about um, the 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 notion that w we're all blue sky. We all have a blue sky version and then through our our thoughts, our uh, accumulations, our socialization, conditioning, uh, you name it, the, the clouds obscure what is always there. And did you feel that as you sort of worked through this with your therapist, did the sort of just the blue sky, did you have a sense that the, the blue sky just emerged and, and what what was always there sort of came through or was it like discovering an, a, a, just a new part of yourself? Neither. <laughs> I'm trying to think like, what was it? Like, what did it, I think I was just so unhappy and so convinced that I was a horrible person that even the idea of a blue sky was just so confusing. And then over time, I didn't think I was a horrible person. And it's just something that didn't come across. I didn't think about it. And obviously, when you look at like other people and you look at babies and you think, oh, all of these people are, <laughs> are fine, that it is the case. But I think I was in a place that was just so far away from that, that without some sort of guidance, I never would have gotten there. Mm. But your innate brilliance came shining through at some point. It did. Yeah. Um, despite like the times, because I think I probably also had postnatal depression, like looking back on it. But I remember like times sitting on my bed and just like not imagining killing myself, but just imagining how nice it would be if I happened to die. But it would just like... My husband would be better off. The kids would be better off. I could just like relax and sleep. And I just, it would just be so <laughs> nice. Um, and so if you're in a place like that, like when somebody's telling you about some blue sky and how you're all absolutely fine, like it's just going to bounce right off. You, you need to find the places, the chinks where you can start to see it and start to see the light shine. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I think saying to somebody, hey, don't worry, you have this innate brilliance, you're divine engineering in form, you're all blue sky, like you just need to see it, is, it's, it's not helpful when you're in that place. It's uh, <laughs> like you say, you've got to start somewhere small and see the first crack of light and then and then put one foot in front of the other from there. Yeah, and then also it's not a... And I guess my experience is it's not a it's not a little bit by little bit it's nothing and then a huge change and then nothing again so it's you can start to see the progress quite quickly when you start to engage to to look for it. Do you think it do you think it ever ends that like discovery? Uh, I don't think the discovery ever ends. I. I hope that like the laying on my bed, a 
praying for cancer ends. Um, like, you know, and has, and for me has definitely ended. Like I haven't wished that I were dead for a very long time. Um, but like you're still alive and you're still enjoying life and figuring it all out and watching it unfold and, and constantly, constantly, yeah. I'm, I always think I've had it, I have it sorted. And then I'm like, cause I'm really goal oriented. It's something I'm thinking about it. This is my new goal. If I achieve this, like I'm done, I'm absolutely done. And then quite often it'll be a chat with Al and Al will just be like, okay, cool. Let's, let's just, let's just have a bit of a chat. And about halfway through the conversation, I'll be like, oh, I've done it again. How, how have I done it again? Like that I thought this goal would be the goal that solves everything when really it's just it's just life and like it just keeps changing and unfolding until the end on that note um your the the concept of embodiment and 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 what i'd love you to tell us what that means to you and what you've noticed and observed and discovered as you've embraced this concept of embodiment yeah it's it it was for me like a, a portal into myself in a way that I just had never experienced before. I, since it was in a yoga studio, it did have um, traditions of yoga you know, that it, it stemmed from, but there are people who experience it through lots of different things, qigong, martial arts, just themselves or being more t- uh, aware of their bodies. But it's like, it just feels like layers of onion being peeled off. And so it's like the first time we would go into the class, we were really focused on like straight backs. It does not sound hard, but getting your back straight is really hard, particularly your upper back, because we're all hunched over all the time. So you're trying to get your top of your back down while the bottom of your back is up to get a straight line. And then doing kind of like a half plank And if somebody had walked into the room, they'd be like, oh, why are all these people in half planks? Like they're not doing any real exercise. And on the inside, it was like the hardest thing I had ever done and the level of concentration and every muscle engaged. And as I did it over time, I was like, oh, I have sensation on the bottoms of my feet. My feet are always telling me things. I have never noticed that there's like the soles of my feet feel. And now the soles of my feet can't ever stop feeling. And I'll be like, oh, that it's not just like that the uh, she was uncomfortable, but it'll be like, it's an uncomfortable soul. Like there are bubbles on that soul. I, I can't wear those anymore. And, and, and in the same way that I can feel the bottoms of my soles of my feet and I can really notice my breathing and therefore it helps regulate my breathing. It's also helped me create space to respond rather than react to emotion because you get because emotion is just sensations in your body and and that's like you know that's a really hard thing to understand but it's just sensations in your body there's nothing attached to it and if you do a lot of embodiment like you start to really notice those sensations and you can separate your emotions from the sensations you'd be like oh okay so my stomach is really tight and my toes are curled and I have electricity throat f- flowing up my legs. I know that that's associated with anger, but right now, if I just focus on those sensations, I can figure out what's going on. And that it's just great to be able to have some space. 95% of the time, there's still that 5% where, you know, your child does something completely unexpected and horrifying. <laughs> and it's all like, <laughs> <laughs> goes away. Um, but what that also has meant is as a leader, I can be so much more regulated and approach things in such a calmer way than before I discovered that my body was connected to my head. It's <clears throat> so cool to hear the way you describe that. Like we had Mavis on here a few weeks ago and she would always, Mavis Khan, who I know you know, and she has always said, you know, it's the feelings 
that count far more than the thinking. You know, if you put your attention on your feelings, they will lead you to exactly where you need to go. And it's just interesting, as you took us through that example, oh, curl toes, not it's so it's like when you put the attention on the feeling, it creates the space because it bring it brings you out of your head. It's like and and I just it made me realize that just as you said it, how many leaders, you know, really put so much emphasis on the intellect, on the thinking, on on the head. And what you're really talking about there is the power of the body to to give you the power of the body, the power of the feelings in the body to create the space for, as I would hear it, for your innate wisdom to be able to kind of come through in, in the moment. But that's how I hear it. But is that, how would you describe, like, is that how you would describe, is that what you see as the upside for leaders to really kind of tap into this idea of being an embodied leader, for, for example? Yeah. So I definitely think it's the space for innate wisdom to arise. There's also the ability to just lead better. And by by that, I mean, fundamentally, we're animals and we're pack animals. And there's a reason why we need leaders. And part of what we need is somebody to point us in a direction and to make us feel better. And if you've done this work and therefore are quite um, regulated in your nervous system and so you can handle your own feelings but you can handle other people's emotions as well and you take the emotion out of situations or you put the emotion into situations because you can control it both ways. You might want to put some more energy and enthusiasm into something or you want to like take the, the charge out the people in your team might not recognize it and they probably won't recognize it in their heads, but they'll a hundred percent recognize it in their bodies and they'll want to be around you and they'll want to follow you because you make them feel good or feel better or feel safe. And would you say that that's only possible from a place of, is the right word, embodiment, like that that's the, the opportunity is when you're in that feeling yourself, that that's the opportunity to create feelings in others. And I don't think everybody has to go through my journey and have done exactly what I've done in order to do it. I think I have offered one experience. Like there are definitely some people who are just kind of more naturally in their bodies and aware of their feelings and calm in their nervous systems without needing tools. Then there are those of us who are like totally disassociated to our bodies and needed some way in. Um, but you can start to notice who are the people who are just regulated. Like if you think about you do coaching, Al, so you're dealing with lots of people all the time. Like who were who are the clients? Uh, obviously, don't share names. But if I say there's a client where your body just shakes, does somebody come to mind where you just feel like after a session or when you're with them? you just have a lot of nervous energy or yeah. maybe not a client, but somebody in your life where you can, you know, you're, it, it leaves a remnant, doesn't it, on you? 100%. I, I, do, I actually had a few different people come to mind of like the different sensations that you pick up on or are left with after a conversation with different people. Yeah. And then conversely, like who are the people that you have meetings with or you have a session with and you just feel like, oh, so calm and you can relax. And it's not what you're saying. You're probably having the same conversation with both people, but you're just in two totally different states. That's our bodies talking to each other. Yeah, no, I, I like, I'm 100, I'm 100% with you on this. And I think the point you made before about actually the root doesn't matter. You know, for some people, for you, it was yoga and that the physical embodiment piece and, and therapy and different things that have opened up the possibility. I don't believe that there's any one route in. And yet, regardless of the route, it's the possibility of finding that space. And, you know, whether we call it 
the feeling of being grounded, being present, being connected to ourselves. Like I don't, I don't, for me, that's probably some of the ways that I would describe it, is that when we're really present and connected to who we are, we feel it and then there's a felt experience of us in that moment. And the bit that I, throughout this conversation, it's like, I wonder how many people might be listening to this and, and my hope would be it's making them curious or even suspicious of some of the things that they might be holding to be true that get in the way of that because because that's the starting point. It's getting that glimpse of, gosh, if that's true for Beth and it's true for Mark, maybe that could be true for me. And then it's, it's kind of following that thread. It's pulling on that thread so that will, I wonder... I wonder what what that would look like and feel like for me. And and I guess that led me to a question, and you might have said it, but you know when you said, you know, someone had shown up and just started talking about blue sky and, you know, you're innately perfect, it would have been like, yeah, okay, thank you. I'm not ready to hear that right now. What What was it that was the catalyst for you going, you know, becoming either suspicious or thinking, I'm going to go and look in a different direction. What what triggered that for you? Yeah, I, I don't know. So people had tried to get me into therapy multiple times. I'd been resistant to it multiple times. It w- just wasn't something I wanted. And then at some point when I had these little kids, I just thought I... I was ready or I wanted to. There was just an urge because <laughs> the inkling. And and then I asked the friend who had been desperately trying to get me into therapy for so long, like, okay, can you give me some recommendations? And it went from there. Like in therapy, we of course talked about it. And um, my therapist's hypothesis was that I was in a place that was stable enough to be able to start looking. Like I was married, I had kids, I had a job. Things like I was safe and therefore I could start to explore. And prior to that, I just wasn't ready. Who knows? It doesn't really, it doesn't matter at all why, but it was just what I needed and helped me immensely. Beth, um, one of the things that we try to shine a bit of a light on is is the practice itself and you you've obviously spoken about some of the things that you've you've done um outside of of the workplace to um open up these channels and and really benef- benefit from this concept of embodiment and and you've arrived at this really cool place now when you take that into the workplace and you're dealing with teams and peers and particularly as a as a senior woman uh, in, in the workplace, what are some of the things that you do um, that you've seen that that you deploy when you're in that space? And 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 have you have you been quite bold with it at work in, in order to? shine a light where where others might not be looking. Do you specifically mean around embodiment or just everything? <laughs> embodiment and 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 other aspects of what you've seen and and has that have you carried that into the workplace for the benefit of others or or have you have you been quite overt about what what you're seeing and and how you're showing up? Um so I think there's there's kind of like two questions. One is around the embodiment piece, which I'll answer first, which is like once it just becomes part of you, it's hard to not have it be there, uh, which is really nice. Uh, so I think when I first started running the team, I could have quite a temper, and I, I like I'm I'm I can be pretty exacting and have a really high bar, but there wasn't a lot of graciousness behind that you know I was like you, you know kind of in my head there would be a lot of not suffering fools and like 
how can you not get this right? Or, you know, what? Um, and through the embodiment, it just has given me the ability to have patience. And I actually I listened to this Brené Brown, Angela Duckworth podcast years ago. And it's so funny that you just listen to things and you have no idea what's going to stick with you and what's that like thing that's the aha moment. And I loved the I loved the podcast because first of all, Angela Duckworth was the only person I think I've ever heard Brené Brown interview who constantly interrupted her like the entire time because she would get so excited and she'd just have to speak. And the other part was she was talking about impatience and she's a naturally impatient person as we can see in the interview. But that empathy relies on patience because you have to have the space to understand another person and and then the empathy can be built and and I, I just it just struck me and I was like wow that that is me and I didn't then go around being like I'm gonna have to be more patient let me be more patient every day it was just like the seed was planted and at the same time the embodiment work and like understanding that not I don't I don't think understanding knowing that emotions are f- sensations in the body it just meant that I could have so much more patience with my team and approach things in some ways as, in a more analytical way <laughs> it's like I I understand the emotions more and therefore I could be more analytical which I, is like a bit of a paradox so that's one way of bringing the embodiment into leadership. Another one is I literally ran an embodiment class on a Friday open to all of Peak. And so anybody who wanted to join could come and join. And I did that for about 18 months through COVID and a bit after. Uh, and I talk about my journey and I give examples um, of how it's helped me and also examples of when I've completely failed despite knowing things, you know, because we're, we're just human. <laughs> that's not going to work while all the time. That's amazing. I mean, that's a very courageous thing to do. Uh, you know, that's being very vulnerable um, for the benefit of, of others, for the benefit of the team. What was the response? Were people intrigued and for the class yeah in particular yeah so we ended up we definitely are we i had a core group of mostly women who actually all women who ended up showing up every week or very often we'd have men who would pop in do one or maybe two and then be like yeah i don't think that's for me um and i don't know if it was because of like being with a bunch of women or because it was a lot harder than they expected and they couldn't do it as well as they thought that, but for whatever reason, they didn't stick with it. Uh, but we had a lovely core of women. Um, it was, yeah, it was just such a special time and it was such a lovely time to talk and relate and connect at work, but not about work, just as people. Very cool. Do you find just one more question about the sort of the the art of the practice? Do you find, and I love what you said, when you know when you see it, it's with you, and it's which is wonderful. Like yeah, you, despite yourself, it's always with you. Um, <laughs> the blue sky is there. The home is home is home. Um, uh, but we like all of us we oscillate between feeling at home and and not being anywhere near home do you find that you've become better at observing yourself in the moment that sort of lovely pause between stimulus and response definitely and um, it's kind of strange because it's both observing myself in the moment but also being more present. And I don't quite know how that happens at the same time, but somehow it does. Yeah, my, my suspicion on that is that's our awareness at work. Like that's that's when we're, that's my suspicion is that our awareness, whatever we want to call it, our consciousness is like so tuned in that when we're present, we it, what we need shows up without us consciously doing it. 
that's just my my thoughts on that. Um, I would love to change lanes just a little bit, Beth. Um, is something he said about patience. You know, you need patience to have empathy, and like the power of that. And then I was just thinking about leaders, particularly in like some of the organizations similar to where we've all worked. Um, and I was curious, like, where do you see is some of the rules or expectations of business that it would be a really good idea to stick a stick some dynamite underneath them and blow them up because they possibly um, are one of the biggest obstacles to leaders being patient, being empathetic, being curious. Um, so I was just, uh, I would love to get some of your insights on, on that side of things. I'm going through kind of like the, you know, post full-time work disillusionment trough right now. So there's definitely like some probably bigger or more radical views in my mind at the moment than there might be in another few months. Um, I've just been thinking a lot about what's the point of work. And obviously the point, you know, there's one point of work, which is to make money so that you can have your family and what you want in life. But there's more to that than, you. Know, it's, it's more than just making money. And there's a reason why we turn up and we do it. And a lot of times in, in like the tech startup world, it's basically creating some sort of cult. You know, we all drink the Kool-Aid and we all want to do X. And X is fundamentally build the biggest business to do something super boring, better than anyone else and make shitloads of money. And so then it's all about, and then people are like, I want, you know, we, we have an amazing culture. We have this, we have that, blah, 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 blah. But fundamentally it comes down to as soon as you take on VC money, growing as fast as you can, what do you need from investors? How do we have an exit? And there's always this goal and there's always there are never enough hours in the day and there's this pressure and how you keep everybody motivated is through this cult and a lot of leadership comes down to the pot of gold at the end and we're going to completely change the world because we're going to do something amazing like to use your background we're going to make email the best email in the world but really like on your deathbed I spend a lot of time my litmus test is on my deathbed will I care? <laughs> and and I just won't. And I don't think anybody will. And like, will I care that we grew as fast as we could, or we made as much profit as we could, or we had the best margins? No, like what you care about is how, or at least what I care about, I shouldn't speak for anybody else, is how I made people feel, the connections I made, the lifelong friends, the conversations that we had. And really, People come to work for, I think, two things. They come to work to make money and they come to work to hang out with people that they like. And that is what, as a leader, you should own that and build an environment that means that people can build lasting relationships and work with people they like and feel good when they're at work. And I don't mean they feel good because they have a ping pong table, but they feel good because they're with people that they like. And the meaning and trying to force a meaning when it's not there just is hollow. And I think it takes a lot. You, you have to own your leadership a lot more when what you're trying to do is get everybody to enjoy being together than it is to take down Oracle. At the risk of putting a sweeping generalist statement into the room and pissing a lot of people off. In my experience, when there's this creative feminine energy in, a, in an organization, there's this desire to build relationships and have these friendships. And when there's an over-rotation on masculine energy, it's like, I'm not here to make friends. It's the weirdest thing to observe. But you are like I guess this is more to me. It's like, but of course you are, because we're just social beings, and it's like, and it's just so sad that as boys you're told that you can't do this. It makes me so sad that you can't have feelings, that you can't form relationships, 
that you can't have meaningful conversations, that you can't be vulnerable, that you can't cry. It's just, it just like, I'm, I, I hate when men go, oh, I'm a father of daughters. So now I understand that women should have rights. But conversely, I'm a mother of sons. And now it breaks my heart when I see boys and men who can't have feelings. Yeah, I mean, that's been our experience. You know, Al and I are so grateful, not only for the wonderful relationships we've made with other mimecasters, uh, you know, uh, along the way, but I mean, like, we both embrace this this notion of like, oh my god, like I've I've met my bestie at work, and we can and we can do amazing things together and we can build with other people other amazing people and it just feels incredible even during the really hard times those relationships are the glue that get you through those those tough times yeah and i think when they don't exist and you're going through tough times things shatter and splinter apart i completely agree but it's it's been it's a lot harder to be a leader in that situation because you you have to put yourself out there you have to get other people to put themselves out there you need to build a truly trusting environment and that's not easy but it's what matters on your deathbed <laughs> and it's not easy because I think the business world and startup world is fear-based. Like that would be my sweeping statement is that so much of it is predicated on fear, fear of consequences. You know, it's that this is the most important quarter ever. And like I have to, <laughs> Always. I, I feel, feel the need to kind of, to own my past here because anyone that might be listening that knows me from maybe 10, 12 years ago would be, uh, Al was one of those people who, who was the pot of gold and like, let's go, we got to do this. And it's hard driving. And, you know, I used to say things like there's no room for where it's hope or try in this business. And now I just look back with like a high degree of embarrassment and think, oh my word, what was going on there? And I'm pleased to say that over the course of time, I think I developed a deeper connection within myself and therefore with others. And I, and I just really, the reason I'm bringing it up is because it is hard. Because I think what we're pointing to here, you know, people call what I think some people would say that what we're talking about are soft skills. And we're really not talking about soft skills. We're talking about the really hard stuff to show up and be truly authentic, to truly care for people, um, to create the environment that you're talking about and trust that that will deliver probably everything you want and more. But it's the easier route is to just follow the, the, um, the kind of kind of the well-trodden path. I think it ties in with the coddle whomping and the viewing things lightly. Because what what struck me with what you were saying was, um, you'll get to what you want, or even more so. It, something you said, or like you know, the hope of what you're looking for. But I think some of it is also like not looking for anything and seeing what happens in it so you can have or maybe it's like what is that vision what is it you're trying to achieve and it's truly not the money based where the fear comes in but this is a cool idea let's go with it let's follow our energy as a group and see what happens next and just watch it unfold and I can hear that coming from someone who's got a really solid core and I, what I mean by that is, uh, yeah, I, because I think that's the key is when we have the realization that there's nothing on the other side of the money, 
on the, there's, there's nothing on the other side of the pot of gold. Like you're not going to feel all the feels. You're not going to be this whole complete person because you exited and had an amazing exit as a company or you sold shares or, you know, you beat Oracle, whatever that might be. That's not going to make you feel anything. If anything, what I find with the vast majority of people, the feeling that they get is one of deep disappointment and anticlimax because it's like, I didn't get it. I didn't get what was promised. Um, and the flip is, if we could have more leaders and more people in the world who could see that they're whole, complete, and perfect right now, then the adventures from there are exciting because it's like, oh, why are you doing that? Because I want to. Why is the team pursuing that? Because it feels good and we think it looks like the best idea ever. What if it doesn't work? Well, it's fine. If it doesn't work, we'll figure something else out. What if it does work? Well, that's great. If it does work, we're still good and we'll figure something else out. We'll get after the next thing. And in my experience, all the best times, the people, when they look back in, when they're looking back in their careers, that's actually what it feels like is somehow it happens by, by there's a coming together and that is what it feels like. And they're the moments we remember more than the results, more than things like we remember when it felt like that and we just misinterpret how it came about. hundred percent. Since leaving Peak, I've been on this adventure to see what's next. And like in some, for a while, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I had like, I had so many illusions that had to go away. So the first one was, and also like, I think we should acknowledge that we're all incredibly lucky and privileged to be in a position to be like, the pot of gold at the end doesn't really matter because like we all are in a position that we can explore. Um, and I know some of it is your mind, but also there's the reality that we have a position where we have a safety net. Uh, there are a lot of people, particularly in America, with just no safety net whatsoever. And I think you, you know, we should acknowledge that. So, but anyhow, like I left peak and I have this pot of money and the pot of money is for tomorrow and for like whenever tomorrow is. And so then I left peak and I was like, oh God, I'm, you know, I have one kid in boarding school, I'm gonna have a second kid in boarding school, I have all of these outlays, quite like my life. And I'd wake up at three in the morning and just like utter panic. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm never gonna earn anything. How am I going to do this? And um and then at some point I was like, oh, I have this money for tomorrow. Maybe today is tomorrow and maybe I can use some of this money now. <laughs> this took me much longer than it should have to realize <laughs> that this is a possibility. And so then at breakfast, I like prepared this whole thing for my husband and I'm like, right, I want to be able to do this. I want to do that. And I have this money. And I think if I move the money here and, I, and he's just like, it's your money. It's like, no, it's our money. He's like, it's your inheritance. It's your earn out for New Voice Media. It's your money. And I was like, yeah, but you know, it's our money. And he's like, it sounds cool. Do it. And I was like, but are you sure? And he's like, yeah. I said, like, but I have a lot of arguments. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, just <laughs> do what you want. <laughs> um, which just took a level of pressure off. And that was the first one. And then it's like, somehow I'm just a lot less afraid because like I've been, I've lived through things and I know I can live through them. If anything happens, I'm in a you know, enviably secure place. And like another one that I really, so I had a lot of money illusions, obviously, as you can tell, like I was completely assessed by it, but like for a while I had decided that my children were going to be incapable of earning any money on their own. And so it was my job to have to produce generational wealth so that they you know, could, could not succeed or not join the world. And I just realized at some point it's like, 
you know, first of all, it puts a huge amount of pressure on me. And then secondly, like, how horrible is that for my children, for me to just completely disempower them? I'm like, don't worry, mommy's here. I'm going to solve your life for you. Like, <laughs> No, my job is to get them to the launch point with as many resources as I can. But then it's their job to live their life however they want to live it. And so now it's like, I only need enough money to live. I don't need to leave money behind. The only thing I know for sure is I'm going to die. And so what's the worst that can happen? Like, it might be a failure. Oh, well, like, <laughs> we'll try something new. And, and it just like, it's just taken like this level of pressure off me that I never knew I had. And it's really nice. And I can just keep laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I went through exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to realize that today was tomorrow? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, L was my sounding board. I mean, he used to just roll his eyes. He's like, you're an idiot. And he just kept pointing and eventually I got it. And uh, yeah, no, that, everything you said there resonated with me. It's so funny. I think you use the girls' college mm. fund as like your reason only about a hundred times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you understand how much so money you need to send girls to college in America? And then uh, it all drifted away. And it all just works out. But that, you know, that last comment that Beth, it all just works out. Just talk to that for a second. What? Say a little bit more about that. <laughs> it just is. Like, I guess um, when, like, so one of the things that uh, Pippa, my embodiment teacher, come whatever she is, um, she just used to like talk a lot about following my curiosity and I think this is like similar like following curiosity following your energy and when you follow that it doesn't seem like work and it's fun and you can put all of yourself into it and because you're putting all of yourself into it and you're like you're also you're in flow and having fun well things are just going to work out um and actually so just as a quick example of this is this community that you talked about in the intro. I've had a huge amount of time going, I want to do something else. I want to be me. Why would anybody want to work with me? I am not an expert in anything. I have no qualifications. I, you know, who am I to say I'm anything? What do I have? Why am I special? I'm not special. Nobody should pay me to do anything. And like for, I don't know how long, Al, we've had, how long do you think we've had this conversation? Like three years? <laughs> it just looks like it's a very long time. I bored myself with it. And, and, um, and then I left Peak and I was like, okay, I have to bridge two worlds. The power is in bridging two worlds. What are my two worlds? What am I thing? Who am I? My blah, 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 blah. And like on and on and on. And we had conversations and I've had, and I like even talking about it, I can feel all of this tenseness in my body. And, and then I like, kind of settled on something. I was like, eh, it doesn't feel great, but okay. And then I did this workshop and the workshop was good, but it wasn't great. And it made me have more questions than answers. And that was a surprise. And then I was like blown over and not laughing a lot for a couple of weeks. And then but I was processing all the information from the workshop and I realized that what the real power was is having, like, I do actually bridge two worlds. It just took me a really long time to realize which two worlds I was bridging. And it's the really ambitious people, but wanting to have meaningful conversations and connections and how to talk to these two groups. And that just arrived. It did not arrive in the three years of me searching for it. It was when I placed it down, like three days later, it arrived. <laughs> Just like, at least I could laugh about it. It was like all of that suffering, all of that brain power, all of that determination. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
And then it just is like, oh, surprise. <laughs> I, I love that though. Like that is, that for me is the, the, the real fun of this, Yeah, you know, is when, when you do surrender, when you do put things down, you let go of your narrative, you just, you just do nothing. Everything happens from there. Everything worth happening happens from there. It's 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 the most enjoyable part of seeing that innate brilliance. It's magic. That is the magic. It really is. But the hard part is figuring out how to let go and how to put it down. Like it's easy to say, just put it down. But it's really hard to do. Because I could even tell myself, you're thinking about it. You're putting too much effort. Don't think about it. <laughs> How can you not think about something? <laughs> yeah, and you've accumulated so much along the way and, and your identity is so intertwined in all of it. And you, it's like saying to somebody like, oh, sorry to tell you this, but that's not you. Just let it go. Is It's, yeah. That requires uh, some some serious serious courage. Uh, I mean, that that's you know, what a, the the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek, and it's taking that step into that cave is uh, creating content is, is my next cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think it's also it's, this is all part of the game. Like I love your story. You know, you did the event and it wasn't what you thought and then it's this and then it's that. It's like, that's the game. There's not a, there's not an enlightened person out there that's just going, oh no, I just sail serenely through life, never experiencing any turmoil or anything. It's all, it's knowing that it's all there and you're okay. It's like, if you're caught up, that's okay. Because when you notice you can, you can put it down that sometimes that's harder than we think. But I think what we're pointing at here in many ways is it's like that's that's how we work. All of like all of it is the like we do. We get into the game and like things don't work. Things don't necessarily that's why I was really curious, like the way you said, oh, and everything works, it all works out. It doesn't always all work out the way you imagine it's going to work out, and it all works out. And for me, that's the giving up on trying to figure out how it's going to work out and trusting that it will work out is, uh, is, is kind of some freedom comes with that. Um, Beth, we have a tradition uh, at the end of every episode where we ask our guests, um, if they were to create a bumper sticker for life, what would it say? What would your bumper sticker for life be? Yeah. I, I was afraid this was coming. And I was like, maybe, maybe they're not going to ask me. <laughs> maybe I'm special. Nobody escaped. Nobody escaped. And the good news uh, is, Beth, you didn't, have to, you didn't have to waste any time thinking about this because you know the answer is just going to come to you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you're going to die anyhow, so live how you want. Love it. That works. Yeah. Love it. Any final, any final comments, Beth? That you- <laughs> Any final comments, Beth, that you would love to leave anyone listening with? I think this is something that happens is we're all looking for the rules and we're all looking for the right way of doing things. And there are no rules and there are no and there is no right way of doing things. And there's a lot of different paths. And it's okay to do your path and it's okay to be different than the next person. If it feels good, if it gives you energy, if it seems somehow like the place you should go do that. Love it. Um, Beth, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been, uh, it's been a really wonderful exploration conversation. You know, I, I love your, I love both your story, but I love the way that you tell it in your kind of 
authentic, open, vulnerable, humorful way of expressing yourself is uh, is really cool and inspiring. And so um, thank you for for sharing that with us today. Greatly appreciated. Awesome. Thank you. It was a great chat. Um, Billows, any final remarks from your side? No, just to echo that. I mean, just to have somebody who is as vulnerable um, and and is pointing to such powerful things, but in in such a lovely way, and and has a, a remarkable story of how they got to where they got to. I think is just it's ear candy. You know, it's 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 what people who hopefully listening to this will 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 just relish um, because I think it it will resonate with a lot of people. So thank you. Oh, thank you both. I'm honored to be one of the first guests. <laughs> Appreciate it. Super. Well, that's a wrap for this week, everybody. Thank you for listening. And as always, please share any questions or um, feedback. Uh, we'd love your questions to explore them on future shows. And until then, we will see you and we'll talk to you again next week. 